Uh, we, uh, we've been walking through 2 Corinthians, and um, it's, it's a letter that's pretty raw. It's, it's an autobiography of Paul's struggles and his challenges, and, and he doesn't actually pretend he doesn't cover up. He's pretty sincere in, in his comments. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at suffering and the paradox of suffering was required for comfort. And, and then the whole thing works so that I suffer so that I can be comforted. And then because I'm comforted, I'm now able to comfort someone else. Uh, so we've been looking at these, uh, what I call paradoxes of the cross, uh, as portrayed in 2 Corinthians. And just as a reminder, a paradox, in case you thought it was two mallards flying over Plum Coulee, is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be a well-founded truth. Uh, there's many paradoxes in Scripture. Uh, exalted through humility. Uh, the way up is down. Uh, strength through weakness, uh, receiving through giving, uh, freedom and greatness through serving, uh, gaining or finding through losing, and living through dying. And to me, the greatest, the greatest paradox, the greatest victory and defeat of all time is the cross. Satan thought it was his ultimate victory, and it was his everlasting defeat. Who would have thought that that was the way to resolve the dilemma? Who would have thought? Well, we are going to continue our walk through, and, and the backdrop here also is that Paul is trying to, um, I don't know if validate, but certainly defend his apostleship to the Corinthians. See, they have this high flutin idea of what a preacher should be like, and he shouldn't have flaws, he should be just, in fact, he shouldn't be working, tent-making to make a living. They had all kinds of ideas, and Paul comes back at them and says, no, actually, uh, God, is, God is sufficient for me, and he leads me. Now, the interesting thing of the text that we just read Paul says, and, and 2 verse 14 follows his admission of pain and sorrow in Troas. And then he says, but despite this pain and sorrow, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Now, we need a little bit of context here. Uh, that sounds great, but after I'm done explaining, you're probably going to be grossed out. See, a Roman triumphal procession looked like this. The Roman conqueror and all of his conquering buddies would parade down the street with all of their loot, including animals and everything, and then the, the warriors that they had conquered, who are now prisoners of war, if you will, would be chained to chariots and kind of dragged through this procession at the end. Now, if any of you have been to the Steinbeck Parade and you've seen these, uh, these massive uh, horses go down the street, there's usually somebody with a wheelbarrow and a shovel following them. Now, you're getting my point. It's, it's being led in a triumphal procession. These 
captured warriors would basically have to walk at the end and walk through the dung of the animals. This wasn't exactly fun. It was all part of disgrace and humiliation because they were going to humiliate them publicly. In fact, that wasn't the end of it because many of them were sacrificed to the gods at the end of the parade in an expression of thanksgiving to their gods for having been able to conquer in the first place. Now, just so that you don't miss what's being said here, Paul doesn't say that I am leading a triumphal procession because I'm a believer. He says God leads us in triumphal procession. Paul isn't leading, God is. Paul is actually one of the captured ones going to his death. This is no longer sounding appetizing to you. I realize that. But really, that's, that's where we're at. This procession of being led in weakness is how God is made known. His strength is made known in our weakness. There's another great paradox. You know, I, I, as I was processing all of this, I was thinking, Paul, Paul has said... Uh, emulate me, right? You've read the verse. Do as I do. And I thought, man, that's just a bold statement. But in all humility, I can say that to you this morning as well. Why? Because what Paul is saying is not, I have something to bring to the table, but as I serve Christ and as I submit to Christ in my life, he is able to do what only he can do. So emulate that part. Give yourself fully to God. That's what he's saying. And we'll see that in the rest of the passage. He follows this up and he says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ. That, that's an interesting statement to follow up being led behind chariots with animals. Aroma, yes. But he says, We're the aroma of Christ. We are a letter from Christ. Aroma and fragrance were metaphorical allusions to sacrifice. You remember the aroma of the sacrifice going up to God. We are the aroma of Christ. We are the letter of Christ. I don't know if Diane remembers this at all, but I used to buy, buy Diane Oscar de la Renta. I don't know, I'd probably put a Spanish accent on that. I don't know how to say that otherwise. And, and the interesting thing about having your wife use that same perfume all of the time... Actually, I don't know if I even asked her if she liked it, but she wore it. Um, was that I could pick her out in a crowd. Because, because there was a distinct uh, aroma, right? We are to be the aroma of Christ, meaning that people that get close to us somehow should, should sense something about us. To be the aroma of Christ, we need to smell like him. We have to model him that well. Boy, I got a long way to go. Yeah. And as he says, we're a letter from Christ. A letter expresses the thoughts, the purposes, and desires of the writer. The letter represents the person who wrote it. We're a letter from Christ. We represent Christ. You're not here on this earth to represent yourself. You're here to represent Christ. And he says, as letters, we are known and read by everyone. That's sometimes scary because sometimes we don't do the right thing. 
and then we recognize our frailty, our, and, and we, we say, Lord, I sinned, I blew it, and there's always grace. And we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves off, and we keep going. That's also part of it. It's also part of recognizing that we are a work in progress. When others read us, do they see Christ? Do they see Christ? I find it interesting as I've been reading through uh, many of the, uh, the uh, New Testament epistles that there seems to be a common agenda. And that common agenda that's woven through all of them is the desire to win the lost. So I, I behave toward my spouse in a certain way to win my spouse. I behave toward my employer in a certain way to win my employer. Or I behave to my employee in a way to win them. I behave toward my neighbor. You get the picture. So there, there's, this, there's this underlying agenda that, that we're here as an aroma of Christ, a letter of Christ, to win the lost. That's actually the driving motivation not, not my personal rights, not my self-interest for advancement, uh, not my own profit. No. The overarching concern is for the salvation of the lost. And when others see how I behave, how I talk, what I think, what I stand for, are they drawn to Christ? That's kind of the overarching question. Do I help or hinder God's saving plans? Uh, when I behave in a certain way, do people say, man, if that's a Christian, I don't really want to have anything to do with that. That's kind of a failed, a failed aroma, I would say. So what kind of aroma, what kind of a letter am I? And of course, here we see in the passage that the character of the person's moral disposition actually determines the nature of their response. Because he says that I am the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And then he says something that is very important to see, 2 verse 16. Who is equal to the task? And this is where our natural inclination is to say, nobody. That's not what Paul is doing here you'll see that actually he, his, his intended response to that question is, I am. Yeah, yeah, you heard me right. It's not a slip of the tongue. Because Paul is saying that although this is daunting, and most of us would readily admit that we are not equal to the task, it's God's work in us that equips us and makes us ready. It's his sufficiency in my insufficiency. It's his competence in my incompetence. Yeah, you might ask, who's got what it takes? Have you got what it takes? Who is sufficient? How could a human being, no matter how good we think we are, ever pretend to represent God, the very creator and sustainer of this universe? And yet in today's passage, Paul actually means to say, I am. He sees himself as sent from God and empowered by God. That kind of confidence can be ours in Christ. 
Now, I, I realize this is a dangerous thing to do because I'm going to momentarily throw my mom under the bus, and it's possible that she's watching. She'll forgive me. Mothers do. But she told me a story long ago that she used to, before she'd start the car, she'd get in the car and she'd pray and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Help me. Then she'd turn the key and start the car and back out of the garage. And she said that over time, she got busy and she got in the car and she turned the key and she'd back out. What had changed? Do you think that her, you, you could argue and say based on the math, her driving ability had improved? But could she control everyone else? Should she control their, the circumstances? She, could she control everything? No, nothing had changed, just her perception had changed. And that might be the time when she took out part of the garage when she backed out. Sorry, Mom. But we do that. We do that. We, we, when, when we start to get good at something, then we start doing it in our own strength. And that's the worst thing we can do. Well, Paul says in 3 verses 4 to 6, Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence from, comes from God. He has made us competent. So the answer to that question, who is equal to this task, is in verse 6, he has made us competent. There's the answer. We're not competent in ourselves, but God has equipped us for the work he has given us. He's made us competent ministers of the new covenant. It's God who calls and equips He is the source and the supply of our lives, calling and equipping his people for service. Now, it's quite possible that this fall, some of you might get asked to teach a Sunday school class. Uh, You might get asked to serve on a committee uh, or be a youth sponsor. Uh, God might be asking you to cross the street and say hi to that neighbor. What's your excuse? Not like others haven't made excuses before you. Moses, classic, classic. Uh, Gideon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, the list goes on. None of them were sufficient in and of themselves because of the obstacles they had to overcome but they were made sufficient by God's grace. So you and I fall in a long line of excuse makers. You're not the first one to make an excuse. But then you and I also fall in a long line of those that God is willing and able and prepared to equip for whatever he's calling you to. And I didn't say what your pastor's calling you to. That's not what I said. We sometimes tend to do that. You know what? You, you should do this. I think you could do really good. We, we, we do that. What I'm saying is that God can equip you and enable you for what he calls you to. In fact, sometimes these very obstacles that were faced were an essential part of the call itself. Illustrating very clearly that God's grace, not our own strength, is the source of our sufficiency. I don't think that God will give you a task that he can't accomplish through you if you obey. 
I didn't say that he wouldn't give you a task that you couldn't accomplish. I said he won't give you a task that he can't accomplish through you if you obey. So let's bring out some of our excuses. I can't do that. I don't have time. Oh, that's out of my comfort zone. I've served enough. Let somebody else do it now. Oh, I'm way too young. I'm way too old. You could probably add a whole bunch that I haven't thought of. Do we break the link between faith and obedience in our daily lives by defaulting to excuses? Or do we pray for the power of the Spirit to continually change our lives so that we can serve as He wants us to serve? It has been said, human efforts, human results. Divine efforts, divine results. Human efforts, human results, divine efforts, divine results. I'm going to give a bit of a personal illustration. I threw my mom under the bus. I may as well include myself now. Um, I used to play the trumpet. Mo and uh, and I both uh, have done that. Um, And I remember the first time I played in public, I think that my knees made more noise under the pulpit than the trumpet did. And I had a natural vibrato because I was shaking so bad. It scared the daylights out of me. In school and in sports, I wasn't a jock. I wasn't popular. In fact, I remember quite vividly those wonderful opportunities where you were lined up on the wall and people, two guys could pick teams and you were one, I was one of the last ones to get chosen. Well, you can have them. A lot of fun. I had lots of stomach aches going to school due to nervousness. And maybe part of that was because I got moved around from school to school in elementary school all the time. I wouldn't let them do that to my kids now. But my life kind of turned around. And as I think back, it was probably in part because of my increased involvement in church. I started teaching Sunday school. I got involved in youth, I got involved in Boys Brigade, I became a song leader, uh, an usher, and boy, you had to have nerve at the Main Street EMC with that long stick to open those windows when you were leaning over a pew of people that were watching you to see whether you were going to shake. You had to have nerves of steel. So, so all of those things helped. They all helped. The, the other thing is, when I went to Bible school, I... God just kind of helped me gain confidence in different things. And where, where I'm getting at is that when we respond in obedience to his call, he begins to transform us. I'm not talking perfection here, but usefulness. I can still remember, it's kind of, to me, it's laughable a bit, but I used to be, the German word is merklich a fussy eater. I cut the fat off the meat. I was very fussy. I remember when my parents visited me in Nicaragua, they couldn't believe what I was eating. God's grace. That's what it is. God's grace. The more obedient we are, the more useful we are to him. God has a purpose for us. He created us, and, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be able to say, here I am, Lord. 
do what you will. You may have a similar story of weakness and incompetence, but God is equal to the task of transforming you and me, and even using our inadequacies, our incompetence for His glory and His purposes. By the way, in case you didn't know, I agonize and struggle probably every week with a sermon. Will it make sense? I've got far too much material. Where's the application? They're going to walk away and say, well, that's half an hour of my time that I'll never get back. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, that's part of my weakness. God uses it. He uses our inadequacies. This means, don't miss this, this means that none of us have a viable excuse. I'm not saying that you all have to preach. That's not what I'm saying. Again, God calls, God equips. But I'm saying that when God calls, let's not pull a Moses and say, well, I can't do that, or I, I don't have a mouth, or whatever it is. All of us can do whatever it is that God asks us because he has made us competent. That's what Paul says here. And of course, credit has to be given to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Human efforts, human results, divine efforts, divine results. Well, I jumped a little bit from 3 verse 6 to 17 and 18 because I thought it tied in. Paul ends the chapter saying, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces, and he's referring back to Moses and the veil and all of that, all reflect the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. We're being transformed. That's it. Uh, you remember that, I think it was, I don't know if it was Bill Gothard, that pin, please be patient with me because God isn't finished with me yet. In Romans, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Hmm. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, fight back, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we are being transformed. Although it requires your cooperation, God doesn't, he knocks at the door, he doesn't beat it down. It requires your cooperation. It is still, though, God who is doing the transforming work, not you or I. We just offer ourselves in obedience. And although justification is an immediate gift of grace, and we are fully justified upon receiving salvation, sanctification is a lifelong process. We will never be perfect this side of heaven. So if you're waiting to be perfect, to serve in one way or say yes to God in one way, you're going to be waiting a long time. But we are transformed. Are we? Are we growing? Are we walking in obedience? Are we letters of Christ that represent him well? Are we that aroma of Christ to those around us? That's what we do. And by the way, you don't need a PhD to be a letter of Christ or the aroma of Christ. I, I don't have an edge up on you at all. None of us have an edge up on the next one. We bring who we are 
and the work that Christ has done in our lives, and we radiate that to those around us. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Diane and Mo to come up and see if there are comments and questions. Uh, So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing, amazing plan, for your amazing grace and love that you uh, shine upon us each and every day. And thank you that although we are broken, uh, sin-tainted vessels, you have chosen to work in and through us. You've made us partners in this great enterprise of saving as many as you can. So Lord, we ask that even this morning and this week that you would impress upon us anew your willingness to make us competent in the midst of our incompetence. And help us then to be willing to be used in whatever way you see fit. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Well, Mo, nothing. Don't you just feel great? It's not just me. <laughs> it might be Ernie too. There's nothing. But that said, I, I, you know, you're a checklist kind of guy. No. Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay. And so I, I would like to know, with what you said, what am I to do this week? After hearing what you said, what am I to do? You should start every morning with a prayer that says, Emiaki and Biamiami. I can do that. I'm going to translate that. Translation. Here am I, send me. That was Isaiah's prayer after seeing his sinfulness and God saying, you're pure. And and then he said, here am I, send me. So start each morning saying, Lord, I know from what I see in Scripture, I know your missional heart. I know that you want to use me. So I'm not praying for opportunities because I know they're there. I'm praying that I will see them. So, so, so that however you choose to use me, I'm prepared and willing to be used by you. And I'm going to say that we start with something else before that. Okay. I'm going to say we start off by worshiping God. Amen. And, and, yep. and acknowledging his greatness in those situations, and from that flows that question. Okay. I, 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 no, I agree with you. I'm just, I, have, I have no issues with that. I I'm, think it, it, our, our, our own frame of mind has to first start with worshiping God and who he is, and our response to him comes out of our understanding of who he is. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that it's that starting point of, of giving, of acknowledging who he is in, in all areas of our life yeah. that, that is really important for us. A, a really tough one is that we give lip service to his sovereignty. Yeah. And then often we live as if he isn't. I'm a control freak. There was a comment. Okay. Funny how it's so hard to remember how the help comes usually only after I start walking in the challenge. Huh, yeah. Yeah, like we said one other Sunday that so often, what was it, pastors tend to pray people out of problems or try to pray people out of problems before God has been able to do the work he wants to do in the middle of that problem. Yeah, we, we prematurely yank people out of, yeah. out of, <laughs> out of the valley, right? Yeah. And out of the, the difficult time. 
Yeah, oh boy, I, it looks like it looks I, like I'm Diane gonna, has I a question. I think I'm just going to leave this one and walk away. But um, does our aroma smell better when we stand up for our rights or not? Um, well, I personally, this is just my opinion. I should walk away too. <laughs> but my my opinion is that I actually gave up my rights. That actually. My, my, my main concern is what is God's agenda in the midst of this? Not what are, what are my rights or what is my agenda. My, my concern is what is God, what, is, what pleases God and what does he want as a response from me? And then secondly, I've already said it, how does the way I respond to the situations I'm in draw other people to Christ? How does it reflect on Christ? So that's the way I would, uh, that, that I would respond. When we orient ourselves, first of all, with praise, um, it's really hard to hold my rights higher than that. Like, when we start with worship and acknowledging the greatness of God, um, I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how I can um, see my rights as, as, as a higher priority. Um, and and so I, th- I think we st- when we do that humility comes and I, I think the best fragr- fragrance we can have is humility. We should we should like make an actual perfume that's called humility. Like then do a commercial for it that makes no sense because that's what <laughs> perfume commercials are. So I can call Oscar de la Renta and see if he'd take that on. <laughs> humility. <laughs> Well, uh, um, uh, one of the verses of the week at, on version was Exodus 14, 14. You only need to be still. I will fight for you. So why is it that I need to fight for my rights? Is it because I don't trust that God's going to do what I want? Because if he's sovereign, I just need to be still or silent, and God will do the work. Well, and the, the great thing about, about this idea of, of being able to trust God and to be able to... Um, trust in him as as we as we step out in confidence like we can step out in confidence because he is able right mm-hmm. um but as we do that he doesn't promise us that he's going to give us the entire portion of strength that we need to accomplish the entire task at the beginning he promises that he will give us the the strength that we need to take the next step and then the next step because it's not it's not that we have been transformed it's that we are being transformed, yep. right? It's not that we are, uh, it, it's, it's an ongoing step. Yep. It's, not yep. just, it's not just like, okay, now I was saved, now everything is different, and now I can, now I can accomplish everything. It's I am continually being transformed into the likeness of God. That, uh, the illustration comes to mind. Um, Amy Carmichael said, a glass of sweet water no matter how briskly it is agitated, will still only spill sweet water. In other words, what's inside? When, when, when my world is shaken, is it sweet water? And, and I've got to admit that um, one of my challenges is when I'm driving, uh, especially if I'm driving a truck and we've got these other four-wheelers around that think that they need to quickly get in front of me before the red light. Uh, then, then the sweet water suddenly needs a bit of sugar, because it's t- and then it's tough. Uh, so I have those areas that I know very well, those hot buttons, 
uh, where that's, that's my growing edge, if you will. I, oh. I talk to my mirrors. Oh, yeah, I, I know. You're talking to Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I always say, you know that they can't hear you, right? <laughs> I'm gonna, if the windows are open. <laughs> I'm going to read the last comment, and I think it's yep. a comment that can just be the conclusion. Yeah. You could say another paradox is that we are both sufficient and insufficient. We are not sufficient, but we are in Christ, and Christ is sufficient, so it's both. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank you.